Welcome to Young and Sanctified. My name is Justin, and my goal is to present to you leading scholarship and thinkers and cultural critics to help bridge the gap between the church and the academy. I believe that all Christian traditions are cut from the same cloth, and we have to learn from each other and talk to each other. Our guest today is the Reverend Dr. Ebony Marshall Terman. She is an associate professor of theology and African-American religion at Yale University Divinity School. She's a preacher, author, and public theologian. As a pioneering womanist theologian, Dr. Terman's research and scholarship explore the intersection of race, faith, and gender. She's a highly sought after speaker, a recipient of numerous awards, and has been featured in various documentaries and publications. Her work challenges the sexism prevalent in the black church and aims to empower marginalized communities. I'm so excited for this conversation. We talk about womanist Christology. Dr. Marshall Terman, thank you so much for joining the show today for having me, Justin. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so I got to tell you, I'm, I'm so excited, humbled, and kind of nervous to, to have this conversation just because your work is so brilliant and your lectures that I've, I've found online are just amazing. So I, I'm really excited for this conversation. So for those who may not be familiar with you or your work, can you just share briefly a bit about who are you, what are you doing, and why Christology? Why has that been a topic of your interest? Certainly. Well, um, as you've already stated, uh, I'm Ebony Marshall Terman, and I am the Associate Professor of Theology and African American Religion at Yale University Divinity School. Uh, I am the author of Toward a Womanist Ethic of Incarnation, Black Bodies, the Black Church and the Council of Chalcedon, and I am currently completing uh, my next monograph, which is um, tentatively titled uh, Black Women's Burden, hmm. um, Violence, Gender, and the Scandal of African-American Christianity. I am the co-chair of the Black Theology Unit of the American Academy of Religion, and I am also uh, a member of the executive board of the Society of Christian Ethics. And uh, I am also an ordained Baptist uh, preacher Mm. um, who served uh, in the parish for about 12 years before transitioning into full-time academic ministry. And I still maintain a fairly robust preaching itineracy um, and uh, profound love for the church. So... Mm. Um, that's me in a nutshell, and I'm glad to be here again. Um, as it relates to Christology, I think, um, why Christology? Well, why not Christology? <laughs> I mean, as uh, James Halcone, who, um, uh, as some may know, is the father of Black theology, certainly, uh, as it was systematized in the 20, 20th century, mm-hmm. and also who was my teacher at Union Theological Seminary mm-hmm. over the course of um, eight uh, very interesting um, years. Uh, as he would say, you know, Jesus Christ, theolo- Christian theology centers around Jesus Christ. And so as... Um, that is arguable, right? It is It is arguable, but I actually uh, tend to um, 
really hold that to be central to mm. the work that I do, right? Jesus Christ is central for the work of Christian theology. And um, more importantly, um, for me, Jesus Christ matters for um, the Black church, of which I am uh, decidedly um, uh, committed to and a daughter of the progeny of. And mm. so um, I want to know more uh, and more deeply about the person of Jesus and about the Christ of faith. I want to know. Um, I want to know more about Jesus. I want mm. to know why um, Jesus. I want to know how Jesus functions and how Jesus matters um, for Christian folk. And. I um, truly believe that it is an interrogation of this central, um, this central figure, the central figure of Christian faith um, that allows us to grow taller in God's grace, that allows us to uh, understand better who we are, right, as people of God and how, toward my ethical concerns, how we ought to be in the world and be with each other. Hmm. And so uh, for, um, you know, in short, I should say, Jesus matters. Jesus matters, mm -hmm. especially, especially to those of us who profess uh, Christian identity. And uh, I want to know more about that. Hmm. Hmm. So just so I heard you right, you said that you were first in full-time ministry and then transitioned to full-time academia? So, yes, um, essentially, I uh, served the church for 12 years, approximately 12 years in a full-time capacity. And during that time, I was also uh, working on um, my degrees. So, um, uh, well, most of that time. And then there were a couple of years uh, post mm -hmm. the, the uh, doctorate uh, that I stayed in full-time ministry. So uh, I was working, I was in seminary, I was um, then working on my PhD uh, and uh, working in the church full-time just wow. about the entire time before transitioning into um, theological education hmm. more fully. Yeah, wow. I I'm working full-time during my master's and it's it's tiring, so... That's amazing. I'm really encouraged yeah. by what you just said. So can, mm -hmm. uh, can we transition into uh, your book a little bit more? Um, sure. So you use the word already, womanist. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that may be foreign to some people, and some people may love it. So just in general, can you explain the term womanist? You know, what does it mean in relation, just in general, but also in relation to theology and Christianity? Sure. Womanism as uh, a theoretical framework is concerned with um, understanding and interrogating um, experience, um, social concern, realities um, through a lens uh, that uh, privileges the intersection of race gender and uh, class identities. Hmm. Um, it is uh, a black, is a, it is a discourse that emerges from the experiences of black women who are positioned uh, as racially subordinate, gender subordinate, 
and because black women and their children are uh, numbered disproportionately as the poorest uh, the poorest of the poor in the world, um, economically, uh, dis- they're economically dispossessed as well, economically mm-hmm. subordinate. And so um, what a womanist uh, framework and or from the perspective of theology and ethics, a womanist moral skate um, uh, does is it interprets, it uh, envisions, it debunks, it critiques, it analyzes from the perspective of um, of black women and from the perspective always keeping in mind right the intersection of oppressions and specifically race gender and class oppressions mm. more recently that um, list of social indicators has expanded so womanists are also thinking about sexuality womanists are thinking about um, um, uh, Ability. They're thinking about uh, age or generationality. They're thinking hmm. about color and pigmentocracy. So, um, so it's it is intersectional in its analysis of what's going on. And hmm. theologically, at theoethically construed, um, it is thinking about God. It is thinking about uh, faith, and it is thinking about uh, transformation from this lens as well. Hmm. So I'm sure some listeners may be wondering, like, what's the difference between womanism and feminism? Can you share Mm -hmm. a little bit on that? Sure. On a very kind of fundamental level, um, womanism is concerned about intersectional analysis, whereas feminism um, has typically been espoused by white women Hmm. who are privileging gender alone and the experiences and experience of gender subordination um, alone and um, other sites of oppression uh, are secondary to that primary uh, indicator of gender. Uh, For a womanist analysis, um, we understand that gender is not the only site of oppression for women, that um, It is gender, yes, but gender as it intersects with race and as it intersects with other social indicators, class, sexuality, and so on and so forth, that um, affects the lives of most women, right? Um, And so uh, we need to attend to all of that. We, uh, womanism was born um, not because of, but with the understanding, with an understanding that white women, um, notwithstanding their concern for women's oppression and more specifically gender oppression, white women can be racist Mm. and they can be classist too and often are primary beneficiaries of uh, white uh, men's power or mm-hmm. white male power. And so can be, right? Yeah. In, in as much as they are also oppressed by it, they can also be beneficiaries, them and their children. Mm-hmm. And so a feminist analysis, and more specifically a white feminist analysis, is not sufficient to speak to the needs and concerns of Black women, and I would dare say other women of color. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I took... um. 
I'm sure you're familiar with him, Dr. Dwight Radcliffe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took a, a intro to black theology with him, and he did a whole long segment on womanism, and he, and he brought that up of this is not feminism, and he made that very mm-hmm. clear. So can you discuss the ways in which womanist theology addresses the intersectionality of race, gender, and class within the context of the black church? So you mentioned it does this. Can you exp- uh, explain how? How? Um, so first I want to say that womanism is not white feminism. So that has to be clarified because there are, um, there are actually intersections with feminism, uh, white feminism. Black women are concerned about women's lives. They are concerned about questions of gender, Mm -hmm. but it is, you're right, Justin, it is not, um, white feminism. Yeah. However, right, there are um, many continuities between womanism and black feminism. And so um, that should be uh, underscored. Um, As it relates to how womanism performs within, are you asking specifically black churches? Yeah. Is that that the question? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that... um, In the first instance, womanism invisibilizes uh, what uh, has heretofore been rendered invisible because of the problem of patriarchy, which is not only uh, a problem, right, in the public square governed by white male arbiters of power. Hmm. Uh, Patriarchy also, it it persists uh, across kind of um, cultural uh, and racial ethnic boundaries. Yeah. Uh, male power is a um, is is something to be contended with, right across um, uh, racial ethnic lines. And I think what womanism does in the church specifically, and certainly within theological education, is suggest to us that black women's that, that black women are there, right? That black women have been there, mm-hmm. uh, and that black women are um, uh, are significant and important to the story of mm. faith and to um, the um, kind of the the ruminations and the constructions of our, our religious imaginary. And, you know, I think Cheryl Townsend Jilks, um, one of uh, our, um, you know, foremothers in a womanist religious thought, a womanist sociologist of religion, um, she said it like this. She said in her classic text, uh, uh, if it wasn't for the women, she said, if it wasn't for the women, there would be no church. Mm. And I mean, I think that sentence um that provocative sentence really sums up what womanism does or um, intends to do um, within the black church. It intends to make black women and their contributions and their voices visible and audible. And it also uh, intends to construct uh, and imagine a new um, from the perspective of black women um, and uh, and for the sake of the entire community. And so uh, that is how it functions uh, in the black church, again, on a very uh, preliminary, in a very preliminary way. 
Yeah, yeah. You may know this better than I do, but I've seen like the ideas of academia not always fully reaching the churches. So, do you see womanism actually like starting to flourish in the black churches, or have they been flourishing in the black churches? Um, in uh, in an interesting sense. You know, it's a it's a it's an interesting question, um, Justin, because right, you know, womanist theology as we understand it in the academy is very much grounded and very much kind of uh, I shouldn't maybe grounded is an overstatement, but it is continuous in hmm. in a way with black theology, and hmm. um, although the guide kind of the overarching narrative about theology writ large, is that it's an academic enterprise solely. The reality is that theologies uh, of the oppressed and uh, more specifically uh, liberation theologies and even more specifically black theology, right, really comes out of the church. That's where mm-hmm. it began. It began and it begins mm-hmm. as a praxis, right, um, it's why, for instance, uh, Monica Coleman, a, a womanist, um, a black feminist womanist theologian who's now at the University of Delaware, could title her book Making, Making a Way Out of No Way, which is a common phrase among black women hmm. um, in their everyday lives, right? How they go about the work of surviving and thriving in their everyday lives, making making a way out of no way. It's, you know, why Emily M. Towns, uh, one of our um, womanist uh, forebears, progenitors uh, in ethics, um, can can talk about the everydayness of Black women and their everyday flesh and blood mm. realities, right? It's why Katie Cannon, a matriarch of womanist ethics, would talk about... Um, would talk so much about the black church and about preaching. Um, it's why Dolores Williams, right, matriarch of womanist theology, would talk so much about motherhood and kind of the everydayness of black women's mothering as a site of theological inquiry. So um, mm-hmm. it is, right, so womanist theology and black theology, I think in their origins are not, Right, doing the same kind of work as normative white theology. That wasn't what was imagined, mm-hmm. even if a charge could be rendered today about like where it is housed, right? It emerges from the people. It emerges from um within the kind of the flesh and blood, the everyday lives of black people, black women. And those uh, and and those whom they love, and who love them, and um, now, th- with that said, right, the word womanist, right, it wasn't necessarily called womanist. Black women making a way out of no way didn't say I'm a womanist, you know, like that. That language wasn't given to it, but. And so kind of the codification of what is happening in the everydayness of Black women, right, as it's presented in the academy, right, is its own thing. But Black women are doing, um, you know, they are doing, right, the work of 
traditional communalism, as Stacey Floyd Thomas would argue in her book, Mining the Motherlode. They are doing the work of, you know, redemptive self-love. They are doing the work of radical subjectivity um, and critical engagement every day. You know, whether they have, you know, you know, people say, well, I have a Ph.D. and I have EDD and I have whether they have a Ph.D. or whether they have, you know, nothing at all. Someone said a me five me like, you know, black women are doing this kind of radical work Hmm. um, of of survival, flourishing, of family, of care, of of teaching, of serving, of um, showing up. Right. They're doing this work. And so. I would, um, yes, there is there is a way in which uh, liberation theologies can become, um, they can become almost kind of de-radicalized, to use the language of Gayrod Wilmore, within the, uh, in the hands of the theological academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we should not forget the origins of this work and the, uh, not only the origins, but the, the kind of... Um, the process, right, through which this work functions, and that is the people themselves. And so I uh, want to take back, in a sense, and, and that is why my work in the church that I continue to do is so critical uh, for my life as a scholar, right, mm-hmm. because um, the the theology is meaningless apart from the people. Mm-hmm. And so I would never want to readily admit and or resign myself to womanism uh, or any of our liberationist inclinations to become captive to the ivory tower. Mm. Powerful. Yeah, that, that last quote you just said, theology is meaningless apart from the people. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to have to marinate on that for a bit. Um, so you've just kind of elaborated on womanism and and the relation with the church. Can you t- share a little bit about what is the concept of a womanist Christology then? So I'm sure listeners are saying like, this is great. So how does, what's the relationship with Christ? Yeah. Well, um, I would say that there are many, there are different womanist Christologies. Mm. So, right. There's not just one womanist Christology. I think we can look at, for instance, Jacqueline Grant, um, who is, again, a, a womanist matriarch, progenitor, foremother, um, full professor at the Interdenominational Theological Seminary in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can look at her classic text, If It Wasn't for the Women. Um, I'm sorry, black, uh, oh, uh, white women's Christ, black women's Jesus. Mm-hmm. De- uh, Jacqueline Grant's classic text, uh, uh, white women's Christ, black women's Jesus, um, to get in, to get one perspective and probably some would argue kind of a very fundamental, a uh, groundbreaking perspective mm-hmm. on, uh, who Jesus is for black women. And then you can look at say, uh, 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 Kelly Brown Douglas to get another understanding of, yeah. um, who Jesus must be for black women. And you could um, look at um, Dolores Williams, right, to get another perspective on uh, black women's understanding or interpretation of, uh, of, of Jesus Christ. 
you could look again at Joanne Terrell, right, who's mm-hmm. doing something radically different, uh, although grounded in that in in this same kind of Black women's experiential uh, vision and reality. Right. She's doing something completely different as it relates to Christology. For example, with Williams, we see a surrogatic womanist Christology emerging mm-hmm. emerging in in uh, Terrell. We see a sacramental womanist Christology taking shape. Um, so, you know, black women are not homogenous. Mm-hmm. We are thinking um, differently about who Jesus Christ is for us today. Um, I would say, uh, I think to the second part of your question, which, which is about like, what, what is a womanist Christology? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say from my perspective, um, as it relates to an incarnational, uh, understanding or an incarnation ethics, um, uh, ethic of, of the Christ that, um, Jesus is, um, we understand Jesus as um, broken, Mm. which is radically, right, which is radically distinct from kind of these um, clean, sanitized visions of, you know, I'm just going to, to be honest of, of, of white Jesus kind of hanging up in people's homes and in sanctuaries and things like that. Right. That, you know, that is reminiscent of the WWJD bracelets that people used to wear all the time. Right. Because Jesus was this, is this in our imagination, right. This picture of wholeness Mm. and, you know, um, perfection and right. All of the above. And, you know, what womanism does is it draws um, attention to what is often not seen in the text. The fact that Jesus was a surrogate, right? The fact Mm. that Jesus suffered, the fact that Jesus died, the fact that Jesus um, uh, in this way is a broken Mm. man. And uh, in my estimation... Right. That makes uh, Jesus or black women. Right. Depending on how you are approaching it, um, according to according to kind of the logics of social conditions. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we understand this to be um, present, this brokenness to be present in Jesus humanity. Um, According to social conditions, Jesus is and black women are the same substance one to another. They are both they have both experienced um, Mm. these um, realities of brokenness, of surrogacy, of um, woundedness, of of pain, of, you know, um, violence, of horror. Right. And um, poverty. Right. Um, Yeah. to an extent, slavery, um, you know, Christopher Morris would always say Jesus died as a slave upon the cross. Jesus was born in the poverty of a barn. And so there's a way in which, mm-hmm. according to Jesus' humanity and black women's humanity and, right, Jesus' humanity and black women's humanity, that they are the same substance, mm-hmm. that there is a continuity in experience between between 
um, between these two uh, sites. And um, what incarnation ethics does, an incarnational theological ethic does, is it um, it suggests that while this is the case, right, while there is this um, kind of um, social devastation um, or or rather this um, profound devastation that follows um, the social experience of Jesus mm-hmm. and of black women, there's also something else happening with Jesus, right, uh, who is God, right, in in Christ, mm-hmm. uh, per um, Christian, um, Christian uh, tradition, that even as Jesus is, um, um, I mean, you know, to a certain extent dispossessed of his humanity through the realities of social cr- crucifixion, um, Jesus is also, right? Jesus is also divine. Hmm. And um, there is that there is something happening simultaneously, and this is leaning on the conciliar tradition here, uh, Chalcedon specifically, but there is something happening in Jesus always and at the same time um, uh, that is counter to the reality of social devastation. There is, Justin, another reality that is always at hand Mm. as well. And Mm. it is the reality of divine presence. It is the reality of divine creativity. It is the reality of divine imagination and power and authority. And so through the paradox of grace, a woman is incarnation ethic, theological ethic, suggests that what has been given to Jesus has also been given to black women. Hmm. And uh, such that black women are not only subject, right, to social crucifixion and devastation as, right, um, you know, as you know, uh, common, you know, discourse might mm-hmm. presuppose, right? Oh, these black women, they're so this and they're the, so that. And, you know, um, pub- popular culture would suggest black right. women are these impoverished uh, 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 kind of realities, impoverished um, um, uh, people mm-hmm. um, in terms of their moral condition. But... Um, Black women are also, uh, they are also mediating in their bodies, right? In the middle of social dispossession, they are mediating God, Hmm. right? Um, They are, um, they are um, participants, right? Uh, In divine presence, divine creativity, Hmm. divine... um, imagination. They are, um, uh, receptive. I don't want to use the, but they, they are carriers of Mm. holiness Mm. and goodness and love and power and authority. And this is all happening at the same time. And in that way, right. Um, I don't, 
you know, I don't propose black women as the image of God, right? Because we know that's not true. We know <laughs> that the image of God is sure. a white man holding a lamb, which is not true either. <laughs> but, you know, but but that's that's the image that kind of perpetrates a fraud daily in our lives. Yeah. But I want to propose, and what a womanist theological ethic of incarnation proposes, is that black women um, are... Um, are in Sarki day, right? That they are in the flesh of God. Mm. They are that they are in the flesh of God and through the paradox of grace, God is in their flesh. Mm. This does not make gods of black women, right? But it does point to the present, the reality of God's presence in black women, mm. in their lives, in their bodies, mediating constantly um, the the reality of uh, race and gender and class dispossession in the world, that God is there. Hmm. And um, that is a radical contention, it would seem, um, for me, because no one would imagine God in Christ to be to certainly not to be a black woman rendered as such, but to even be with them. Right? Hmm. Um, they are black women weren't even discussed in the theological academy until the 1980s. Like they didn't exist. And hmm. when you think about right the history of the church, that's a long time to not exist. Right? When you're when you were there the whole time, when the 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 the, the kind of the the modern world is dependent upon black women's, you know, um, mm. uh, procreative or reproductive, as Dolores Williams would say, capacities in order to, you know, in order to 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 to, to press forward. I mean, there is no modern world without mm. black women, and yet completely erased from from uh, discursive sites, um, you know. Nevertheless, and so to say that God is in the flesh of black women um, is to make um, is to make a case right for the visibility of black women in the theological case in the theological academy and to make a case hmm. for um, the theological significance uh, of black women's um, generativity hmm. and um that is what womanist theology or a womanist Christology endeavors to do. So good. <laughs> I think anything that I say now, which I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to ruin it. It's just so. With our remaining time, though, I, I know you got to get going soon. Where does ethics come into this? You even said the word theoethics, and I, I don't think I've heard that word before. Can you explain how? Um, does that, that that relationship between womanist Christology and ethics? Absolutely. I mean, I think that again, a very fundamental way, um, black women and womanist uh, theology uh, and ethics broadly conceived, um, broadly construed, rather. Uh, understand themselves to be part and parcel one of the other, hmm. right? So there is a way that anything that can be said about God, right, in an explicitly theological reg register must have implications for um, how we live 
move and have our being in the world as God's people. Hmm. And so, um, right. So, so, so often, especially as ethicists, when, uh, as women as ethicists, when we talk about um, ethical inquiry and when, when we talk about, and when we do God talk more generally, we, um, we cannot separate theology, right? Kind of the talk about God from the action that God talk ought to propel. And so we think about these two things as necessary um, dance partners um, in, um, in, you know, in a theological register, right? That our God talk should have moral implications um, and, and does have moral implications for how we live. And that's just, you know, baseline. Yeah. Well, I mean, it should be baseline for everybody, right? So I, I do appreciate that reminder. But it's not. It's, but it's not. not. Well, so, yeah. I, I ask that only because, I mean, in, in a lot of the classes I've taken, action is like, you know, ethics, I guess, is rarely talked about. It's all head knowledge. It's all just, like you said, theological jargon. Mm-hmm. And very rarely do professors, but one of them who did was Dwight Rad- Dr. Dwight Radcliffe, who talked about, hey, without action, it's nothing. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that reminder. Yeah. And I, thank you so much for your time and, and your expertise and your heart for um, the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Justin. All the best to you. You've just listened to another episode of Young and Sanctified. You can support us by continuing to listen, sharing an episode with a friend, or leaving a review. Find us on Instagram or Facebook. And if you'd like to leave some feedback, you can reach out to Justin personally through his email, which you can find in the show notes. Your feedback helps us grow as a podcast. Until next time, friends.